Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Join us today during the Jeep Celebration event. Right now, get 20% below MSRP for an average of $15,178 under MSRP on the purchase of a 2023 Jeep Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe or Summit 4xe. Not compatible with lease offers or with any other consumer incentive offers. 15,178 average based on 20% below average MSRP from all 2023 Grand Cherokee Overland 4xE and Summit 4xE models and dealer stock. Residency restrictions apply. Take retail delivery from dealer stock by 4-1. Jeep is a registered trademark. Hello and welcome to a mini episode of Cinematic Universe, the podcast that's all about comic book movies, which you can now find at cinematicmultiverse.com. I'm your host, Joe Cunningham, and I'll be bringing you a truncated version of the show to bridge the gap between our Deadpool and Ghost World episodes. On today's show, I'll give you my reactions to the comics that Seb and James recommended on last week's podcast. Those were the first volumes of Cable and Deadpool and Justice League International. But before any of that, let's take a look back at some of the comic book movie news that has broken over the past week. Okay, shall we start by addressing the enormous elephant in the room? Well, that elephant is Deadpool's astounding box office performance. Exceeding just about every expectation, Deadpool scored a top 20 all-time box office opening in the US, which is all the more remarkable given that it was released in February and not the middle of the summer. So that opening is bigger than every X-Men movie ever, all of them, Man of Steel, Guardians of the Galaxy, The Winter Soldier, and in fact it's bigger than all but 16 other movies ever made. So far, it's reached $284 million worldwide after just one week of release. So, I think it's probably fair to guess, given the way that Hollywood works, that that performance is going to have some kind of impact on superhero movies going forward. Um, I think immediately, what we're likely to see is some changes that it might have on the X-Men movies in particular, and it already looks like Wolverine 3 is now likely to be released with an R rating. Now, Hollywood does have a tendency engaging in tunnel vision and putting success like this down to one factor, like the rating. But actually, in the case of Wolverine, giving that film in particular an R rating might actually make some sense. Whether it will lead to more films like, I don't know, say Suicide Squad, embracing an R rating remains to be seen. But I would guess that the immediate impact of this success will be Fox speeding up the development of their X-Force and New Mutants movies. And, of course, getting around to casting Cable. Um, And so far, Avatar's Stephen Lang seems to be making a pretty strong case for himself online. Okay, now there is all that out of the way, we can move on to some of the other news. Um, Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2 has started principal photography, and we got our first teaser image to mark the occasion, as well as some news of some new cast additions. 
So the key takeaway from the image is that Groot remains in his baby Groot form, which is adorable, and we can imagine James Gunn is going to have some fun when it comes to the fight scenes with a baby Groot. Um, as for the new cast announcements, Kurt Russell has now been confirmed alongside the previously announced Pom Clementif, and also joining the sequel are the Nick star Chris Sullivan and Elizabeth Debicki, who... I, in particular, remember being appropriately great in The Great Gatsby a couple of years ago. Um, That film is going to be hitting cinemas on April 28th next year. So, you know, not too long to wait until that. One movie that we won't have to wait too much longer for, though, is Batman v Superman Dawn of Justice. Um, And the trailer for that movie arrived last week, the final trailer, and it shows Batman in his Batwing to begin with before engaging in some combat that will look very familiar to anyone who has ever played the Arkham games. Um, That is probably what steals the show in the trailer, but there's also lots more shots of the heroes duking it out. Um, Wonder Woman speaks for the first time, and there's a brief flash of Amy Adams in the bath to try and tempt in the dads. Um, The final shot is pretty good. It's a real doozy. It's Batman blocking a surprise Superman's punch. And that's probably the image that the marketers are hoping is going to stick with you for the next month. So you will turn up in cinemas when the film is released on March 25th. Another trailer we got last week is for the second season of Daredevil, which goes very heavy on John Bernthal's Frank Castle. Now, there's no sign immediately of the Punisher wearing his trademark skull logo. But we imagine if the show sticks true to form, it'll probably show up, I don't know, maybe two minutes before the end of the final episode. Speaking of which, Daredevil suit is still pretty dreadful. But I thought I might have spotted a variation of it in the trailer, which, if it's the case is probably going to be good news because the only way is up for that monstrosity. And if season one drew parallels to Batman Begins, then expect season two to be inviting some pretty heavy Dark Knight comparisons with the suggestion in the trailer that our hero's actions directly led to the Punisher's arrival. Elektra also shows up at the end of the trailer. We only get one line from her, but there is a tease right at the end that there is a second part of the trailer arriving on February 25th. So look forward to that. And hopefully when that does arrive, there will be some more Kingpin in that one. Because I need me some Kingpin. Now for a TV casting roundup. And Dan Stevens has been announced as the lead for FX's Legion. With Aubrey Plaza, Gene Smart and Rachel Keller filling out the supporting cast. For now, it's probably for the best not to go too deep into who the rest of those characters might be playing because it's probably a 50-50 shot or better that some of them, if not all of them, are going to end up playing different versions of Legion's personality anyway. So, you know, we'll get to that when we need to. Uh, Meanwhile, over on AMC's Preacher, Jackie L. Haley has joined the cast um, as the villain Odin Quincannon. He'll reportedly be sticking around for a six-episode arc. Now to the CW, and this isn't for Flash and Arrow, but this is for the CW's Riverdale, which is a pilot 
based on the Archie comics, which will be produced by Greg Berlanti, who also does The Flash and Arrow. Um, that show has cast Lily Reinhardt as Betty and Cole Sprouse, um, one of Zack and Cody, apparently, as Jughead. Um, and we actually think this show sounds like, like a pretty great fit for the CW. Although, you know, not going to be crying out for any crossovers in that universe immediately. Until maybe they announce a Josie and the Pussycat spin-off, in which case we're going all in. And finally, some sad casting news. And this is sad because Hayley Atwell has signed on for another pilot at ABC. Now, that doesn't necessarily spell cancellation for Agent Carter, because there has been some suggestion that if the show is picked up, that Atwell could do both. But given the really poor ratings for the really kind of excellent second season so far, we'd be really surprised, given this news, that it would be coming back for a third season. So enjoy Agent Carter while it lasts, and, you know, maybe don't cross those fingers too hard. Okay, let's move on now to discussing this week's comic book recommendations. And first up, we'll start with James's recommendation. Now, this was obviously based on Deadpool, and James recommended me a Deadpool comic. In fact, this is Cable and Deadpool from 2004, the first volume, which is titled If Lux Could Kill. And this comes from Fabian Nicieza and Mark Brooks. Pretty sure I just got those names wrong, or at least one of them. Um, And this was... I actually really enjoyed the first two issues of this in particular, because I haven't read a lot of Deadpool. I've read next to nothing about Cable, and when I have read him, I haven't really understood his deal. Um, I feel like I'm a little bit closer to understanding that after this, but not the whole way there. Um, But kind of the first issue smartly mostly focuses on Deadpool and then the second one mostly focuses on Cable and then there is kind of like zigzag intercrossing between them and them teaming up slash fighting against each other for the duration of the next four issues. Um, But the first issue um, starts off with probably the funniest two pages in the whole thing with Deadpool watching TV making some wittier sides. Um, and then my really honestly on page two slash page three my favorite moment of this entire six issue run which is where Deadpool picks up the phone and the person on the other end of the phone says is this Deadpool and he says nothing then hello is anyone there I was told this was the number to call if I had special needs hello and during that Deadpool wanders off screen wanders back still in his t-shirt and pants, but now with his Deadpool mask on, and goes, this is Deadpool. <laughs> As if, like, uh, and the look on his face, like he poss- he couldn't possibly acknowledge that he was Deadpool until he had the mask on. Um, and that was something I, I think I mentioned on last week's podcast that I kind of wanted from the movie was some kind of, like, differentiation between Wade Wilson and Deadpool, both pre and post transformation and in and out of the costume so i really like that here it was really funny it came within a funny couple of pages um and it kind of sets the story in motion when deadpool gets that call he is called over to france um who he thinks america are at war with um to help out this church and this church are a group of people who they want to turn everyone blue so everyone looks the same and that there is just so basically everyone will be the same and there will be no more kind of conflicts because 
everyone will be part of this one kind of larger whole. Um, and that's at least the suggestion of what they want. So Deadpool is charged with tracking down this virus that will enable them to do so. And Deadpool doesn't really know to begin with whether they want this for good reasons or bad reasons, but knows they're going to pay him a lot of money to do it. So he agrees. And when he turns up to take this virus from the place where it is, um, first of all, it turns out that it actually isn't there, that someone's got there first. But then Cable shows up to stop Deadpool and ends up telepathically blowing his brains out. Um, and it's a, it's a nice little setup of Cable as this straight man who's going to kind of go up against him. Um because they are kind of antagonistic mostly throughout the course of this six issues. Um, but it then enables Cable to kind of pick up the narrative from that point, track down the people who have stolen the virus. And then there is an issue where we kind of get to grips with who he is a bit more as a character. Um, you know, it kind of showed me what his powers were in, in, in regards to his like telekinesis and all that kind of stuff. Um, and um, ends with... or at least that that kind of stretch of things ends with Deadpool tracking Cable down after he's managed to get his hands back on the virus or stop the people who had taken it initially, who are basically three hapless students. Um, and then Deadpool is able to take Cable out. Um, and then during his recovery, Cable is having a discussion with Professor X and um, it's a really interesting insight into this character who kind of finally feels like he's getting to grips with his mutant powers, with his mutant powers, and he is kind of having this existential crisis about someone like him who is capable of doing so much actually doing so little, and he kind of questions Professor X on how he's able to do that. And Professor X basically warns him that if he ever tries to take more of an active role on how the world functions or, or how society and civilization works that, you know, that's, that's a, that's a little bit of apocalyptic villainous kind of tendencies that he's showing there and that he and the X-Men would be there to stop him. Should he ever try and do that? Um, and obviously that kind of links into what this church are trying to do and what they've recruited Deadpool for. Um, and then we kind of see the two characters both, back at the church who Deadpool has taken the virus back to. Um, and Deadpool is uh, turned blue eventually um, and looks like them. And so kind of has had his horrendous um, appearance fixed by being turned blue and homogenous with the rest of this church. Um, De Cable and Deadpool both kind of find their way into the organization and observe them and kind of both are seduced by the idea maybe not by the church actually doing it themselves certainly in terms of cable but the idea of what they're after trying to homogenize the human race um a, a, a alter civilization to make it function at a higher level than it does now um cable sees the appeal in that and deadpool kind of goes along for the ride with them turning in blue just because um Except basically the church have kind of planned for both of them turning against them to a regard and Cable, the virus that he has, this kind of like cybernetic cancer inside his body is reactivated and all the metal starts attacking his body and Deadpool starts to melt 
because he has got this virus inside him. It's really kind of bonkers. But the end of the fourth issue kind of ends with the two of them on the floor realizing that the only way they can survive is by sharing their powers with each other so that Deadpool can give his healing factor to Cable and then Cable can kind of suck the virus out of Deadpool. Um, And that kind of happens by them merging and then Cable vomiting up Deadpool who then is able to reform into human form. Um, And there's lots of crazy stuff going on like that throughout this um, it kind of all eventually comes to a head with um, a big fight where they're all fighting over the virus because it turns out there's actually a more stable version of the virus. But basically, Cable has orchestrated a lot of it to show himself, to, to kind of position himself as a hero. Um, but the X-Men have seen through what he's doing and Xavier's prior warning kind of results in... Um, some of the X-Men, including Beast, Cyclops, um, and I think maybe Emma Frost, but I, I can't tell. I'm just going on that from vaguely looking at her costume. Uh, they turn up to kind of keep him in check at the end, and that's kind of the teaser for the issues going forward. Um, and I've got to say, mostly plot-wise, like I thought it was an interesting way of showing Cable as kind of an anti-hero in a different way to Deadpool. Like, Deadpool's an anti-hero because he does so little thinking that he just kind of goes with the flow and ends up doing bad stuff even though he's supposed to be a hero whereas Cable is almost overthinking things and in in that kind of such deep philosophizing about things kind of gets close to supervillain territory um so there are there are very interesting two characters together and um, I could imagine this series being quite fun to continue with um, because I did like the way the characters bounced off of each other and there were moments where I did find Deadpool funny. It, it really, the more that the plot took over, the less opportunity I thought there was for that and I appreciated kind of the weirder stuff that was going on, like the two of them merging and then vomiting Deadpool up more than the actual, like... The, the nuts and bolts of the plot of this virus and turning people blue and all of that kind of stuff. I kind of I kind of zoned out on the plot a bit and just enjoyed the moment, which maybe is what you're supposed to do with any comic involving Deadpool. But I kind of wanted a bit more of it and I wanted a bit more of Deadpool being funny. I think, um, I will wonder whether James and Seb kind of saying in the past that they often don't find Deadpool funny on the page. It seems like he he can be it's just sporadically and maybe it requires him being written by someone who like comedy is what they do like comedy writers actually taking control of this character because there is the potential there for him to be funny all the time which you can kind of see in the movie and i don't see why he couldn't be funny all of the time there is there is a couple of clangers in this comic in the same way that there was in the movie just like it's almost like a little bit of trying too hard with the character like ah oh, there's a gap here we should throw in a funny aside from deadpool even if we don't maybe have one um but like i said some of the stuff right at the start was really funny and weirdly that was the stuff where deadpool was on his own before cable came in um which i was surprised by i thought he might have been more successful bouncing off a character 
like Cable. Um, but uh, really, the, the the end of this comic sets up the idea that whenever Cable or Deadpool want to teleport, which is now a power they have since they merged, that if one of them teleports, the other one will show up as well. So it it suggests a bit more of a kind of like buddy relationship going forward from that that they the two of them would have to put up with each other and um yeah that that was that's something that i'd certainly be interested in taking a look at but yeah so that was cable and deadpool that was james's recommendation which i would kind of say uh, i liked bits of um and next is seb's recommendation which is justice league international now this comes from keith giffen jm dematis and kevin Maguire. again probably got those names wrong um and you know not to criticize seb here because this is a fine recommendation but actually this felt like a recommendation reading it that i would have expected to have got after either watchmen or when we eventually get to it the Avengers, the first Avengers film, because there was lots of stuff at the start of this that reminded me of the Avengers and towards the end that reminded me of Watchmen. Um, And I read the first eight issues of Justice League International, which kind of just starts off being called Justice League, but I think has since been collected together as Justice League International, because that's kind of what the first seven and kind of the eighth issue is concerned with, like, them transitioning to become the Justice League International. Um, And there were various points in here where I kind of lost track of um, some of the characters. So I'll have to try and remember all of the ones that are involved at the start. So there is um, Guy Gardner's Green Lantern, who um, Guy Gardner... this This is also one of the things that I'm going to praise the most about this comic, which is the individual characters and the banter between them, which is why it reminded me of the first Avengers film, because I, I, again, really didn't care about the plot of this. There is kind of two or three subplots of villains that they take down throughout the course of this. One takes up the course of about three or four issues, um, and there is kind of like some puppetry going on in the background to try and orchestrate the Justice League of America becoming the Justice League International being UN approved and setting up all over the world Um, and part of that is Maxwell Lord but you get the impression that there's maybe someone else even above Lord who is orchestrating this and uh, certainly within the issues that I read it wasn't revealed who that was or why the reason for it was Um, but I really just mostly enjoyed these characters bouncing off each other and kind of getting to know them a little bit better as you go through the issues. Um, So, yeah, you've got Guy Gardner as this Green Lantern who is just a real jerk. Like, he is the worst. He wants to be in charge. Everyone hates him. Um, One of the other Green Lanterns, Hal Jordan, can't understand why Guy Gardner got invited to this group. Um, And is just constantly acting rashly and back-chatting to the other members and making fun of people and generally being a nuisance. Um, there is Captain Marvel, who I believe is, you know, now Shazam, the the guy who is being uh, developed to be um, have his own film, in which, so far, just The Rock has been cast as the villain Black, Black Adam, but that's strange. Um, Captain Marvel is a 15-year-old kid who is kind of 
inside like a big, strong, powerful superhero's body. And it's implied at certain times that he is probably the most powerful, but also the most inexperienced. There is Martian Manhunter, who is, is he's kind of mostly stoic and calm and is basically one of the leaders of the gang. Although to start with, the leader is Batman. Um, and Batman, it would I would say it's probably fair to say that this is the closest version of Batman to the Lego Batman from the Lego movie from a couple of years ago that I've seen on the page. Um, all the other characters kind of make fun of how dark he is and how he never cracks a joke and how he takes things too seriously. Um, and yeah, he, he definitely has a sense of that Lego Batman. Um, and going back to Martian Manhunter, um, Batman kind of says regularly that he's the only other member of the team who he really trusts. Um, there is Blue Beetle, who's kind of like the Joker of the gang, um, to begin with at least, uh, and, and mostly towards the end. Midway through, Booster Gold is brought into the gang and they, um, in the final issue, form a great little comedy double act. Um, and Blue Beetle, I would say probably my favourite character um, from all of this. Dr. Light is a character who features in this a little bit. She's kind of brought into the gang and leaves again um, because she's kind of been manipulated into the fold by Maxwell Lord. Um, so we don't really see too much of her. And as a result, I didn't really feel like I really got to know her that much either. Um, and then there is Mr. Miracle, who has an agent with him all the time. So it seems like he's kind of like um, a superhero who's trying to exploit his fame. Um, I, if, he was the character that I found the hardest to get to grips with over this. Just because, I, I mean, I'd never heard of him before. I didn't really know what his powers were. And um, I couldn't, yeah, I just couldn't really get a handle on what his position was within the group. Um, although it's not to say I didn't enjoy him as part of it it was just he, he didn't stand out compared to the rest um, and then there is Black Canary as well who um, yeah sadly I think kind of her defining characteristic in this group is that she is the woman um, she really doesn't like Guy Gardner but no one else does um, and yeah I, I again I really think that there wasn't compared to the rest and this is really strong um, in terms of characterization that compared to the rest she really didn't get enough attention um but yeah a lot of this in the early issues is these these this team kind of coming together and clashing because they have those various different character traits there is constantly um booster golds being told off for certain stuff or, or sorry blue beetles being told off for certain stuff that he's uh jokes around saying by batman and Martian Manhunter's kind of trying to keep the peace and Guy Gardner's picking fights with everyone. He keeps calling Captain Marvel Captain Whitebread and Captain Marvel is constantly questioning himself, saying he doesn't know whether he's ready for this group. Um, there is also Doctor Fate, who is a kind of like mystical character who seems to have like powers that really seem higher than anything else he kind of has links to these like world building characters who show up at one point and um he's kind of in and out i would say he, he his main characteristic is how mysterious he is um and yeah just just the way that they all bounced off each other the little jokey asides it really rem reminded me of 
the Avengers on the helicarrier in that first Avengers movie and all the kind of good stuff that came with that. Um, And again, the missions that they were going off on, I wasn't too engaged with, but I just enjoyed the way that these characters spoke to each other, dealt with each other, and you really got a sense of the dynamic of this team as they went on. Um, And obviously, I think some of these characters um, are ones that inspired... um, the characters who appear in Watchmen, and especially towards the end, um, there is a couple more characters introduced, one of whom is Captain Atom, um, as the Justice League International forms with UN approval. Um, and yeah, there's there's a there's a posed group shot which um I can't I can't imagine has like I can't imagine looking at and not thinking, oh hey, that reminds me of Watchmen. Um so yeah, that that's that's why I mentioned the Watchmen thing, and yeah, this team kind of changes a little bit as the j- j- through the course of the eight issues. Some people um, join the team, some people leave. Guy Gardner has like um, a personality change in the middle of things. Um, it comes after Batman has punched him in the face, so it's not clear whether he's kind of like knocked a different personality into him. But I I kind of got the impression that maybe something else was behind that. Um, but again, that wasn't that wasn't revealed during the course of these eight issues, um, and kind of uh, another thing I wondered, which I'm sure if I was a more regular comic reader would make more sense, but why characters like the Flash and Aquaman and the other more likable Green Lanterns and Superman and Wonder Woman weren't around for this team, and you really get the impression that like Batman is the all star kind of holding this book together. And he certainly starts out as the leader and it's only towards the end that he kind of takes a step back and lets Martian Manhunter take the reins a little bit more. But yeah, it seemed like this this was almost like maybe a little bit like the current version of the Avengers comics where they have kind of taken... So Tony Stark is still around as Iron Man, but the team is now made up of like Miss Marvel and Nova and Lady Thor and Sam Wilson's Captain America and Miles Morales' Spider-Man. So kind of all the A-listers have moved aside for this new exciting gang, but there is still that one guy that you that is that is kind of a proven entity there as like the face of the book and holding everything together. Um but yeah, I, I really enjoyed mostly just the interplay between these characters, the dialogue, the little witticisms that go along with it. Um, I really enjoyed the artwork. It felt very 80s, but also really coherent. I, I always knew what was going on. Um, the character designs are really great. And um, yeah, a little bit in the art as well, it, it reminded me of Watchmen. I mean, m- most of the pages are kind of like traditional nine panels. Um, a lot of the time, or like variations on those traditional nine panels. So that was that was another another thing that helped helped make that link. Um, and yeah, I would say again, really enjoyed this, and in fact, would be interested in reading more Justice League International going forward. And I would say mostly just to read some more Blue Beetle and Booster Gold because I really really enjoyed those two characters together, and I kind of wanted to see more of certain other characters. Um, I would have liked to have got a bit more of Martian Manhunter. He gets some funny moments in the eighth issue um, where they're kind of moving into their new headquarters in New York and it's a terrible building that's falling apart. Um, And I I kind of wanted to know a little bit more about Guy Gardner and why he was such a jerk. 
Um, and I guess all of these things that I wanted to find out, I could probably either continue reading this or just wait until Seb recommends me some more 80s DC comics, which he is almost certainly going to do within the next couple of weeks on the podcast anyway. Um, I'd be surprised if he wasn't. Um, so, yeah, I would I would give like um, a thumbs up to both of these. I think Justice League International pipped it for me this week just because I think it was a little bit more consistent in its funniness. Um and um, whereas Cable and Deadpool, I think there was probably a couple of moments in that that made me laugh more than anything in Justice League International, but they were a little bit fewer and further between. Um, there was also, I forgot to mention that there is a reference to Deadpool looking like Ryan Reynolds, which is great because that came four years before X-Men Origins Wolverine was released. Um, so yeah, that was Justice League International and Cable and Deadpool. But unfortunately, that is it for this week's show. So don't forget that on next week's episode of Cinematic Universe, we'll be focusing on Ghost World, um, which is very exciting. Um, If you're enjoying the show, then please do subscribe on iTunes, Stitcher, Player FM, or your podcast app of choice. And you can also support us by backing us over on Patreon at patreon.com forward slash Cinematic Universe. You can find more episodes of Cinematic Universe on cinematicuniverse.libsyn.com or at our new home, which is cinematicmultiverse.com. You can get in touch via Facebook, on Twitter, at CU underscore podcast, or send us an email to cinematicuniversepod at gmail.com. See you next week. Confidence starts with loving who you are. And when your skin feels nourished and glows on the outside, you naturally radiate confidence from the inside. Give your skin a glow up with Osea's clinically proven Mega Moisture Duo. This ultra-hydrating body care features two of Osea's best sellers, Andaria Algae Body Oil and Andaria Collagen Body Lotion. These seaweed-powered heroes use skincare-level ingredients normally reserved for your face for results you can see and confidence you can feel. Osea has been making clean, clinically proven seaweed-infused face and body care products for over 28 years. This luxurious skincare is vegan, cruelty-free, and climate-neutral certified, so you never have to choose between your values and your best skin. Glow from the inside out. Get 10% off your first order with code GLOW at oseamalibu.com. That's O-S-E-A-Malibu.com, code GLOW.